you're new with us this morning, we're studying book one of the Psalms. That's not all 150 Psalms, but the Psalter is broken up into five books. The first book is the first 41 Psalms. This morning, uh, we come to Psalm 15. So, I'd like to encourage you to please find a Bible. If you didn't bring one of your own, we provided a black one at your feet. And turn to Psalm 15. Now, what you'll notice is that in this psalm, King David asks and answers an important question for us. And my prayer is that his answer would cause all of us to live as God's people on earth. So let's read Psalm 15. I'll read aloud, you follow along. A Psalm of David. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. That's God's word. Amen, indeed. So as you can see immediately, uh, Psalm 15 asks the question and then gives an answer. And then at the end, makes a promise. Question, answer, promise. The question is in verse 1. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? King David is asking, who gets to be part of God's people who live in God's place and enjoy the blessings of God's presence? Notice at the beginning of verse 1, who shall sojourn in your tent, O Lord? So the imagery is sojourning in God's tent. Imagine that. Being a guest in God's tent. This obviously imagines the one who gets to uh, be a guest, a worshiper in the tabernacle. uh, You remember when the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness? um, They were led by the presence of God. Do you remember? It was a, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night that would lead God's people through the wilderness. And when it stopped, then... Moses and the priests would set up the tabernacle, which was a, was a large tent structure. And the presence of God was centralized among his people. There, the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night would rest at that tabernacle, this tent of the Lord's. 
So the imagery here that David is keying on is reminding the nation of Israel um, and asking the question, who gets to sojourn, be a guest in your tent, O Lord? And then he asks the second question there in verse 1. Who shall dwell on your holy hill? And we remember when the Israelites came into the land of Canaan, and especially when David uh, set up shop in Jerusalem, that they put up a new tabernacle on Mount Zion, because God designated that as his mountain. And the presence of God was once again centralized among his people. And so there on Mount Zion, the highest place in Jerusalem was the tabernacle. And then eventually they took the tabernacle down and Solomon built the temple right there on the temple, what we call now the temple mount. So for those who read this text or sang this song, I mean, the, the Temple Mount was as familiar to the people in Israel as Capitol Hill is to those in D.C. or as the campus at Handley High School is to us. This is very familiar territory. And David says, who shall dwell on your holy hill? Who gets to live on your property, God? And notice the emphasis is on the word holy here, isn't it? And the holiness is not just the moral purity of God. That certainly is the case. But we understand a, a broader definition of the word holy means that God has chosen this for himself. This is God's tent. God's hill. These are God's people in God's place who get to enjoy the very presence of God himself. And so at the very beginning of Psalm 15, in a poetic, beautiful way, David is expressing the incredible privilege of being God's people and their deep desire to experience the blessings of living in God's presence. Now, of all the places that you and I could possibly live, what better place to live, to sojourn, than God's presence? Does your heart long this morning to be in the presence of God? Does Psalm 15 immediately stir the imagination and desire, the affections of your heart to say, oh, I would love to be one who gets to sojourn in God's tent. I want to be one who dwells on God's holy hill. That's what David is expressing. And this was a common theme among Many of the songs written in the Psalter. Here's, here's another of the songs that the sons of Korah uh, wrote that sort of expressed this same desire to be and experience the presence of God. 
It's Psalm 84. You're, you're welcome to turn there if you like. It's a beautiful psalm. Psalm 84. I'm not going to read every word of it. I'll skip just a little bit for sake of time. But just note the same heart. Sons of Korah. And imagine the people of God in Israel singing this song. Like we sang three songs this morning. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. You see the similarity? The dwelling place. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Verse 4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, which, which means the valley of weeping, the times of trouble, as they go through the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs. Verse 7, they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Verse 10, for a day, just one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the, town, in the tents of wickedness. Why? For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. What a beautiful song that captures the heart of God's people who get to live in God's place and experience the blessings of God's presence, to live in the presence of God, to sojourn in his tent, to worship in his holy hill is to behold his beauty. It's to be hidden from trouble. It's to be lifted up to a safe place above your enemies. It is to be full of joy. That's what Psalm 84 captures the heart of. Psalm 27, David said one thing. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after. Now, what is the one thing that you're asking of the Lord and seeking after? One thing that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon his beauty to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head will be lifted above my enemies all around, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices and shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. What better place? in all the universe, than in the presence of God, friends. Psalm 61. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Psalm 16. Next week. 
in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Does your heart long to be in the presence of your God? If your heart doesn't long for God, C.S. Lewis famously said it's because, quote, we're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. David's question, who, who gets to be part of God's people in God's place and experiencing the blessings of God's presence? Who? The answer, verse 2 through 5, the one who is holy, the one who is holy holy. Did you notice that in verse 2 through 5? Look, King David uses 11 verbs to characterize the kind of person who gets to enjoy God's presence. Just scan down through verse 2 through 5. He who, verse 2, walks blamelessly, does what is right, speaks truth in his heart. His life is holy. Verse 3, his relationships with others are holy. Verse 4, his values are holy. Verse 5, his dealings, his business dealings are holy. The overarching message of Psalm 15 is that the one who dwells in God's presence must be holy because God is holy. And then David ends Psalm 15 with this promise. That one is secure forever. Look at it. Verse 5c. He who does these things, what? The 11 things that I just mentioned in 2 through 5. He who does these things shall never be moved David says the one who is holy will never be moved off of God's property. <laughs> he will never be relocated out of God's tent. He will always be one of God's people in God's place and experience God's blessings. Isn't that beautiful? Who gets to be part of God's people and live in God's place and experience the blessings of God's presence? Answer, the one who is holy. And here's the truth. That's not us. It's not us. It's not me. And I think one one momentary pause of reflection on the past week will prove that it's not you either. 
It's just not. That's the truth, my friends. As hard as it is to hear, it's not us. Too often, we do what's wrong. We use our words to hurt others. We hold grudges against those who sin against us, just to name a few of the things that David mentioned in Psalm 15, 2 through 5. This is not us. But it is Jesus. <laughs> oh, it is Jesus. Jesus is the only one who fulfills Psalm 15. That's why we came to church today to praise him. Because Jesus is the one who fulfills this psalm with every thought, every word, every deed. It all reflects the holiness of his Father. Because Jesus is holy, holy, holy. Jesus is the one who from eternity past to eternity future sojourns in God's tent, dwells on God's hill. And friends, here's the gospel this morning. This is not us. This is Jesus. And the gospel of Jesus Christ makes sinners like us holy. It really, really does. I mean, are you aware of your sinfulness this morning? If you are, praise God, you're in the right place. It's only here that you're going to hear about God's grace for sinners through the only Holy One who ever lived. The Holy One laid down His holy life for sinners like us. And the purpose and goal of the gospel is to restore man, all the sons of Adam, to the holy, the holy image of God in which we were created. It's the whole God's plan of redemption is to restore us to holiness so that we can live forever in the presence of God. Where God says, I will be their people and they will be mine. I, I mean, I will be their God and they will be my people and I will dwell in their midst forever. God's people in God's place enjoying God's presence forever. The sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ forgives our sin, gives us his righteousness, so it takes our sin and gives us what he earned, his righteousness, and it secures us as a part of God's people, his sons forever and ever. Amen. Praise God for Jesus and his gospel. That's the truth from Psalm 15. But friends, the wrong way, the wrong way to read Psalm 15 is to stop there. And I'm so afraid that we do that sometimes. We good Reformed Baptists, we're so excited that Jesus fulfills Psalm 15 that we're like, yes, praise Jesus! And we missed the point of Psalm 15. 
completely missed the point. We understand that the the one who dwells in God's presence must be holy because God is holy. Amen. We see that that's not us. Oh, me. But it is Jesus. Amen. And then we breathe a sigh of relief that Jesus has forgiven our sin and made us righteous with God. I'm so glad for Jesus. Friends, it's true. It is absolutely true that we can and should rest and rejoice in the truth that we're made holy by grace through faith in Christ alone. Rest there. Rejoice in that truth. But you can't stop there. That's the wrong way to read Psalm 15. The right way to read Psalm 15 is to understand that King David wrote Psalm 15 to hold up the ideal so that all of God's people will live it out. Psalm 15 is a psalm of wisdom. And just like all of wisdom literature, it shows us what is absolutely universally true. It's the ideal. It's God's wisdom. This is how it should be. Is Psalm 15 not how it should be? Yes, it is. And so so David, King David, holds up the ideal, not so that we can go, We're the covenant people of God. We don't have to worry about that ideal, David. Read the whole the New Testament. Read the prophets, and you're going to find out that a lot of people had that sort of attitude, and I'm afraid we do too sometimes. Our lives must be marked by the holiness of God. Must be. If if we don't desire what we see here, something's wrong with our hearts. If our lives are not marked by what we see here, something is wrong with our lives. Psalm 15 is a psalm of wisdom that includes both the positive and negative. Why? Why are half of them positive and half of them negative? Not just to make the point uh, on both sides of of the coin. This is not it. It's because there's the ideal and then there's the way people are living inside of God's covenant community. The ones who are hearing and singing and reading this psalm. And so what David does here is he gives us the positive and the negative to exhort God's people to this ideal and to expose the sin of those who are not living up to God's ideal. So Christian friend, see it, long for it, know that this is not you, but it is Jesus and that God's purpose of redemption is is to make you this person. 
slowly but surely, through the power of his word and his spirit, throughout the course of your entire life and never perfectly until you and I get to the actual physical presence of God in the new heaven and the new earth. We are being made this person by grace through faith in Christ. And it's that grace and the security of being the covenant people of God that fuels us to strive, to work, to live this ideal out for our joy and God's glory. See, this is what Paul means in in 2 Corinthians when he takes a hold of the gospel truth that we're talking about here. God's people in God's place experiencing God's presence. Paul takes that truth and he says that promise tells you you should do something. And it's not rest and relax on your your laurels and forget about it. Mm Mm-mm. 2 Corinthians, the end of chapter 6, beginning of chapter 7. Read it later at home. Listen to it now as I quote it for you from Scripture. Paul is talking to a church. God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Since we have these promises, brothers... Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Paul says the promises of the gospel result in cleansing yourself of sin and striving. Hear that word? Let us strive, bring holiness to completion. Bringing holiness to completion is a present active verb that comes out of the promises of the gospel and requires active obedience of faith. And yet I know Christians who say, I'm so dependent on God to do everything in me, I'm so dependent on the grace of God to change me, I'm waiting for him to do it. You believed a lie. We are to strive after the holiness that marks God and his people. So, let's look back again at chapter I mean at uh, Psalm 15 verse 2 through 5 and let's see this ideal that we might strive to live as God's people, marked by his holiness for his glory. And guess what? It's for our joy. When we live according to the, the law and the holiness of God, it is always the best life possible. Always, because God's law is holy, righteous, and good. Verse 2 through 5, he gives us four Four different uh, concepts that should mark our lives. In verse 2, 
Our life must be marked by holiness. Write that down. Our life, our whole life, must be marked by holiness. Verse 2. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Who is it that gets to be God's people in God's place and experience God's presence? It's the one whose whole life is marked by holiness. Note, he talks immediately, just sort of like as a banner over the rest of what he's about to say. He talks about three spheres of life. Do you see that in verse 2? How does he live? What does he do? And what's in his heart? His, his life, his works, and his heart, they're all marked by holiness. First of all, he walks blamelessly. His life is wholesome. How does this one live? How do the people of God live out on earth? Well, they walk blamelessly. Walk is just a metaphor for us walking through life, our lifestyle, our behavior. It's Blameless. The word blameless is actually rooted in the word wholeness and health. And so they have a whole and healthy lifestyle. What would make a whole and healthy lifestyle? One that is according to the prescription of God. His life is wholesome. What does he do? Specifically, verse 2. His works are righteous. He does what is right. He does what's right instead of what's wrong. Why? Because that's what the holiness of God does always. God always does right. God never does anything wrong. Isn't that amazing? Aren't you glad that God never makes a mistake, never does wrong, never gets vindictive, never gets bitter? God never lashes out in un holy anger? What if he did? What if God ever acted in a wrong way? Friends, we would be doomed. This whole universe would be dust. His works are righteous. Not just God's, The one who dwells in God's tent, dwells on God's holy hill. He lives life with righteousness, marking his doings, his his works. Third thing there in in verse 2, his heart is pure. Now you say, I thought he was starting to talk about speaking here. That's fine. The problem is he's speaking truth in his heart. So this is self-talk. He's talking to himself. What is in his heart? That which is true. And so this one speaks truth down deep in the heart, which is the opposite of hypocrisy. This man says what he is. William Plummer said the good man's heart is the best part about him. He loves holiness. He hates sin. Indwelling sin and outbreaking sin greatly annoy and distress him. He hates vain thoughts. He loves God's law. If he could have his wish, he would never sin again. He abhors iniquity. He despises the crooked ways of carnal men. He's honest with God, with men, and with himself. Deceit is no part of his gracious character. Does that sound like you? Do you speak truth down deep in your heart? God's people who live in God's place and 
experience God's presence do? Progressively, slowly, but surely do. As we experience more of the holiness of God, we begin to be changed by his holiness. Our life must be marked by holiness. That's verse 2. Number 2, verse 3, our relationships. What are they? What's the word? Holy. Our relationships are marked by holiness. Look at verse 3. Does this not talk about this one's relationships with other people? Verse 3, who does not slander with his tongue, does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friends. His relationships, the people of God, their relationships on earth with others are marked by holiness. Question, are yours, is mine. Psalm 15 is here to ask us that question, not just make an ideal statement, but to search our hearts. Our relationships must be marked by holiness. He talks about three different things here. Uh, His relationship with others, first of all, is not marked by slanderous words. See that at the beginning of verse 3? He doesn't speak about others in a way that makes them look bad. He uses his words to build others up. Have you done with your words this week? Probably the toughest place is in our own homes with the people that we feel most comfortable with. We often use our words to end up hurting them when we seemingly, or at least we say that we love them the most. The second thing that he mentions in verse 3, his relationships with others uh, are not marked by evil actions. He moves from the words to the, to the actions here. See there? Um, he does no evil to his neighbor. So he doesn't do anything to hurt others. He treats others as he would be treated. Again, William Plummer says, A good man will not, out of choice, do anything to harm, wrong, or needlessly displease, trouble, or afflict any human being. What a beautiful life. Holy. The third thing that marks his relationships at the end of verse 3, his relationships with others, again, are not marked by angry responses. So it says here, he does not take up a reproach against his friend. He does not take up a reproach. He does not allow sin and offense to damage his relationship with other people. He doesn't hold grudges. He doesn't take up a reproach for this one because they hurt somebody that I loved. He is one who responds with grace instead of anger. This is one who responds with forgiveness instead of bitterness. Friends, this is a holy life of God's people. Why? Because they've been in God's presence. That's how God treats us. God's people forbear and forgive. God's people work toward peace. Because God has worked to make peace with us. And so he calls us to make peace with others. That's beautiful, isn't it? Our life, our relationships. And now look at verse 4. Our values. 
our values must be marked by holiness. Verse 4. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. Who swears to his own hurt and does not change. God's people in God's place who experience the blessings of God's presence, their values align with the Lord's values. See that in verse 4? Their eyes despise vile people, and they honor those who fear the Lord. Now, Derek Kidner's helpful here, and I, and I think that this is very important for us, because he's not telling us to get up on our moral high horse and look down at everyone else. Remember where we came from. We came from the same pit, slav, despond that everyone else did. We are sinners, too. Derek Kidner says he's not judging others or comparing himself with others. He's declaring what he admires and where he stands. A godly man doesn't feel the same toward the wicked as he does the righteous. He honors those who honor God. And as we saw last week in Psalm 14, he's grieved by those who foolishly act in rejection of God. Isn't it interesting, the, the pairing of Psalm 14 and 15? Last week, a description of the sinner. This week, a description of the saint. His values align with the Lord's values. He despises the vile person. He honors those who fear God. This is one who doesn't ultimately value people because of how they look because of what they can do, or because of their accomplishments. Now, he, he's not ultimately enamored with the rich and the famous. The godly person values people's hearts for God more than anything else. And secondly, here in this particular verse, verse 4, what else does he value at the end? He values his word. See that at the end? who swears by his own hurt and does not change. This one has made a promise. Things have gotten difficult. He's having a hard time fulfilling this promise. But what does he do? He swears by his own hurt before he'll break that promise. And he won't change. John Calvin said, The faithful would rather suffer loss than break their word. For this one... His honor is more important than his wallet. Which moves us to verse 5. His life, his relationships, his values, they all are marked by holiness. And now look at verse 5. His dealings, his business, his transactions with other people in the world. They're marked by holiness. Verse 5. Who does not put out his money at interest... And he does not take a bribe against the innocent. His business dealings aren't marked by greed. See that at the beginning? He doesn't put out his money at interest. So this kind of ruthless greed is strictly forbidden in the old covenant law. 
The Old Testament is full of talk about how we should not unfairly profit off of another person's misfortunes. But boy, don't we see that going on in our world. But this one, his financial practices are fair and honest. They are holy. They reflect God. His business dealings reflect God to those that he is involved with. And at the, in the middle there of verse 5, his business is not marked by dishonesty. He will not take a bribe against the innocent. He's not going to allow his integrity to be bought by anyone. He's not going to discriminate. He's not going to be partial. Innocence is innocence. And he's going to do right by the innocent because he loves people more than money. His life, his relationships, his values, his dealings, they're all marked by holiness. And he ends Psalm 15, 5 with this assurance. His relationship with God is secure because of this holiness. Listen, friends, our relationship with God is secure, as in forever and never. Both sides of the coin. He who does these things shall never be moved. God says, I will dwell with my people and they will be my people. How long? Forever. Go ahead. And ever, and ever, and ever. Absolute assurance and security for these people. William Plummer, who happened to be a pastor in Virginia, Maryland, and Pennsylvania in the mid-1800s, said this. He said, while everything else is fickle, God's people are stable. Gibraltar, the Himalayas, and the Appalachian Range shall melt like wax, but God's people shall not be moved even into eternity. Amen. Why? Because our righteousness is not located here. We have an alien righteousness that is located in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is given to us by grace through faith. And it's secure in Christ forever and ever. The eternal security in the presence of God is emphasized here and all throughout Revelation. Just listen to how the book of Revelation ends. With our, the security of God's people. Listen to this. John, the revelator, said in John, in Revelation 21, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Okay, stop, time out. What? God's new holy hill. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said to me, it is done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Who gets in on this? Who gets to dwell in God's tent? Who gets to live on God's holy hill? Revelation 21, open invitation. Hear God's word, friend. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. What's required? Just thirst. A thirst that comes from, I know I'm not this, but I know Jesus is. He's my only hope. Are you thirsty? Friends, let us strive to meet this ideal. Let's live as God's people, marked by his holiness in our life, in our relationships, in our our values, and in our dealings. Psalm 15 is going to leave us weeping and rejoicing, both. When we stand in the presence of a holy God, we have reason for both. God's holy. We weep because we're not. God is holy. And we rejoice because his grace has made us holy through the sacrifice of the only one who has ever fulfilled Psalm 15. And so Paul Tripp says to us this morning, live life as a sad celebrant. Mourn the ways that you're far off from the holy goal God has set for you. While you rejoice in the potential you now have to be what you could have never dreamed of being if this holy one had not met you with his heart and life-transforming grace. May our Tears mix with joy until we are on the other side with him and like him forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. God, we praise you this morning that you're holy and that you're not waiting for us to come to you, but you have come to us through the Holy One, the Lord Jesus Christ. And your gospel, your grace makes us holy so that we can be your people who live in your place and experience your presence now and forevermore. Oh, may we strive for the holiness without which none of us will see the Lord. God, may you do a good work in us and through us as our lives reflect your holiness for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.